Chapter 7, Change of Direction. A great motivational speaker once proposed a question to the effect, how can we achieve a goal we don't have or hit a target we can't see? What a true statement. So if we wish to keep someone we are jealous of or hate from achieving a goal that is of good or hitting a target that is an accomplishment, we need only to obscure that goal or target. Well, that's exactly what the Watchers and their demon cohorts have done to humanity. They pulled off the greatest illusion of all, to hide the truth in plain sight. It's typical of most magician acts. They keep us watching the right hand so as not to notice what the left hand is doing. Of course, they took a few liberties in obscuring the truth as well, most notably changing the sacred names of the Bible to pagan and or false ones. Of course, rewriting history is a classic tactic in subjugation. Just to illustrate, <clears throat> what if one was to take a history book and change the chief names to someone or something else? Well, it would still be a history book, but it would no longer have any real value, would it? Well, that's exactly what the demon puppet masters accomplished using their translators. Interestingly, if we delve into the history of ancient Israel, we see how they kept falling into the worship of three chief pagan gods, well, among others. There was the Canaanite father god called El Elohim, and his son Baal, the Lord, and of course a female goddess, which is Baal's consort, Astarte, also known as Ishtar, among other names. Ironically, we in this modern era of Christianity pride ourselves in being so above and non-pagan as the ancient world. But are we, really? The truth is, this modern world, including Christianity, is probably the most pagan era to arise in thousands of years, which was all done with the sleight of hand of the Watchers and their foolish and unwitting human puppets. Actually, for the great Watcher magicians, that is, the authors of magic according to Enoch, deceiving humanity is like taking candy from a baby. Again, one of their chief tools is the difference in the time continuum between dimensions. As pointed out earlier, the time continuum in the spirit realm is radically different from ours, as 2 Peter 3 tells us. <clears throat> in the spirit realm, one day is like the passing of a thousand of our years in our physical world. From the spirit perspective, the Garden of Eden and the Great Flood of Noah were just earlier in the week. Unfortunately, we have forgotten and relegated to myth what was just a few days ago for them. The wisest man in history made an extremely strange statement, that is, to us, which was, there is nothing new under the sun. What has been done will be done, and what will be done has been done. That's Ecclesiastes 1.9. <clears throat> we kid ourselves thinking all the technology we now have is new. But the more that's unearthed by archaeology, the more we're shown the technology we now possess is not new at all. As pointed out in the last chapter, in ancient times they had flying machines, nukes, and even floating cities. Something we don't even have today. In fact, archaeology, and as the ancient writings tell us, they had technologies we are yet to harness. But nothing new under the sun has another side to it. It means human nature does not change. It's also the essence of the axiom, he who does not pay attention to the past is doomed to repeat it. It's because we don't change, unless we put effort into changing, that is. Our nature is completely predictable unless we incorporate a higher power to get us off the human nature hamster wheel. <clears throat> Animals are programmed to repeat the same behavior, only with very slight variations. But humanity was created to be the children of the creators, 
each with unique and special talents, as future junior creators. Again, we were not created to go in circles like a dog chasing its tail, but to move forward creating new things just as our Creator Father does. Unfortunately, when Eve and Adam embraced the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they opened the door for the spirit animals, that is the watchers, to fill us with their spirit of pride and selfishness versus the creator's spirit of humility and unselfishness. Due to that reality, these creatures have us behaving just like them, going in circles, i.e. the circle of life. Is it just a coincidence that evolution, that is, that we evolved from animals, is being taught as fact in schools, even though it is known to be absurdly ridiculous? You know, like Santa Claus is flying reindeer and the egg-laying Easter bunny? With all that in mind, the environmental agencies elevating creatures from insects to fish to a higher value status than humans really brings things into a new light. It has become blatantly obvious someone wishes us to believe creatures are more important than humans. And let's not forget, all those cartoon movies like Disney where animals are shown to be human, in fact, in most cases, they are not only promoted as human, but better than human, with the humans as the evil ones. Can we say veganism is not also a part of their pro-creature agenda as well? Honestly, just who do we think is teaching humans that animals should not be eaten? Could it be the animals? Again, once we understand who's really running the show from behind the curtain, it becomes blatantly obvious why things are the way they are. The bottom line, until we stop listening to the promptings of the animal spirits, we will never break out of their circle of life, i.e. hamster wheel. No, we were created to spend eternity moving forward, going where no man has gone before, to quote Star Trek. The problem is these spirit animal creatures are far more powerful than we, and the only way to stand against <clears throat> their manipulation is to get help from a source more powerful than they. In the New Testament, we find the source of that power promised. There in John 14, we find the Messiah promising his disciples that after he left for heaven, he would send them a helper and comforter. Of course, the power of which he spoke was the spirit of his Father. That spirit was, is the spirit of the tree of life, the one that Adam and Eve were told to freely partake. <clears throat> in fact, the Messiah mentioned many times he was the life and the door, that is, to life. Remember, him telling the crowd in John 8, those who kept his words, which were actually his father's, would never taste death. So much for the circle of life and death. Again, just mouthing the words of choosing life doesn't get it. We have to keep, that is, follow those words of our Creator, Father, and His Son. And those words begin with the ten given at Mount Sinai. As mentioned before, they are only the beginning, the negative side of love. That is, the hurtful things not to do, while Yeshua, the Hebrew Messiah, delivered instructions on the positive side, the loving things we need to do. You may have noticed in the ten words or commandments, the first four show us the hurtful things not to do to the creators, and the last five are the hurtful things not to do to each other. But there is one positive admonition in the group, which is the fifth, to honor our parents, a concept that has all been erased in this day and age. There is very little respect being exercised anymore, especially by the younger generations. Obviously, the place to begin this new direction is with the first word, the first commandment, which tells us to not place any other gods, that is, angels or watchers, before or ahead of Yahweh. To lift up one of Yahweh's created creatures to a higher level than him is beyond demeaning.
But that's exactly what humanity has been doing since the beginning. All the ancient cultures raised up the animal watchers as their gods. Some are still doing it, such as the Hindus. To them, the animals are still sacred. Only having lost the knowledge the ancient gods, i.e. watchers, were animals, they now worship the physical ones. Even those who are not openly placing the animal gods before Yahweh are still placing the angels in that position. For instance, God is a generic title simply meaning deity. Considering that fact, it means any deity can hide behind that title, which is exactly what's happening in Christianity, not to mention almost every other religion. But the Creator has a personal name, which He gave Moses at the burning bush on Mount Sinai. That personal name was the Tetragrammaton YHWH. YHWH in Hebrew meant, I am that I am, or I will be what I will be. In Paleo-Hebrew, vowels were not used. Each consonant has its own built-in vowel sounds. Those consonants, Yod, He, Wa, and He, when pronounced together, sound like Yahweh. Many try to argue such pronunciation is incorrect, but I have personal proof. After putting away the pagan and false names and embracing Yahweh and Yeshua, his firstborn son, I literally stepped into a whole new world of supernatural understanding and provision. It was without a doubt the greatest miracle of my life, and I've experienced hundreds. No one can tell me I have it wrong, considering I am living proof, and so is this book. The shocking truth is, I did not go searching for all this biblical and spiritual knowledge. It was simply given me. All I did was verify it in the scriptures and write it down. It's reminiscent of what occurred in Acts 2, where the disciples began speaking in languages they didn't know. Getting back to the sacred names then, Yahweh chastised his priests in Malachi 2 too. If you will not hear, if you will not take it to heart, to give glory that's honor to my name, says Yahweh, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already, because you do not take it to heart. Those, some of the strongest words in the Bible, are given very little consideration. In fact, probably the greatest curse of all is to be denied, denied the true spiritual understanding of happiness, and let's not forget the knowledge of immortality. I have no doubt the reason the world's religions are so ignorant is due to their not giving the Creator Yahweh the honor due His exclusive, that is, set-apart name. Again, it all begins with knowing and honoring that exclusive name first, not second, or third, or fourth. Of course, once we know and honor His personal name and the name of His firstborn Son, we'll no longer unknowingly place pagan and, or, and false gods before Him. Unfortunately, modern religions are mostly a matter of pure ignorance. And the first step of rising above that ignorance is embracing and honoring and respecting, that is, glorifying Yahweh's great name. In fact, Yahweh's firstborn son was named to honor his father in position at his status, which we will see later. The second word of instruction, i.e. commandment, is very connected to the first. The Israelites, including the modern Israelite nations, were instructed not to reduce the Creator to any shallow, graven image of some created thing, which lowers the Creator to the level of His own creation. It would be like someone honoring the chair instead of the carpenter that made it. In fact, it's worse because the images the ancient Israelites and Gentiles formed and bowed down to were the evil, defected watchers who hate Yahweh and want only to corrupt and or destroy His prized creation, simply out of spite. In other words, those graven images, i.e. idols, they created and worship were Yahweh's enemies. A triple insult. Most, if not all, professing to believe, remember the lie nestled in believe, 
and follow the Bible, attempt to make a case the idols, that is, the graven images, were just stone and wood. But with a little reflection, are we really to believe our forefathers were so stupid and ignorant, that is, Neanderthal, as to believe a piece of wood or stone or metal was a god? How absurd. But then aren't statues, that is, graven images, of Jesus and Mary and the cross, also made of wood and stone and metal? So how are the Christian idols or symbols of deity any different than the ancient ones? No, those ancient idols or graven images were representations of the watcher gods that formerly ruled the world before the flood. <clears throat> the third word, then, is also connected to the first two. Those three are, insepar are an inseparable package involving who the Creator is. That third word of instruction tells us to not take the Creator Yahweh's name in vain. Unfortunately, what we have in the King James is a terrible translation. After all, how on earth do you take a name in vain? To take something in vain is oxy an oxymoron. Vain means nothing, worthless. So to take nothing is completely nonsensical. No, the correct translation is to not make his name vain or worthless. To address him with worthless, vain, or false names is to reduce him to nothing, that is vanity, or even worse, make him the same as all the other pagan, i.e. worthless, gods. Again, when inadvertently discovering the incredible importance of his name, or names, and having made the commitment and kept to give and show honor and respect to his names and put away all the pagan and false ones, I literally stepped into a whole new world of understanding and provision. That is quite literally the first step into his world. No one dishonoring him and his names will be allowed into his realm and or family. One thing he will not or cannot do is bless, disrespect, and abuse. Unfortunately, we are allowed, that is with free moral agency, to make that foolish choice, but the result is we remain outside his door and family, including the blessings and true understanding. But before leaving this subject and chapter, and in reference to the true names, it's interesting to discover the name Jesus is not the first King James, in the first King James translation, the 1611, of which I have a copy. The name in the 1611 is Isis, which is Aesus. That's a shortened version. Aesus is a shortened version of the Greek word Aesus, meaning Savior. Digging deeper, we discover the Greeks actually had an anointed Aesus, that is, a Savior, who was Zeus. Zeus was the Greek savior in that he saved his people from his evil father, Kronos, the king of the Titans. According to the legend, Kronos heard a prophecy of a son born to him that would dethrone him. To prevent the prophecy from coming to fruition, he swallowed each baby immediately after birth. But his wife, discovering she was once again pregnant, hid in a cave on Mount Olympus to prevent her husband from swallowing any more of her children. See the book called Zeus by Tom Stone. Somehow, Kronos never discovered where she and her new son Zeus were hiding, but she managed to keep Zeus secret until he was grown. Upon becoming an adult, Zeus decided to free his siblings from his father's stomach, which he accomplished by slipping poison into Kronos' food, causing him to retch up his brothers. After freeing them, Zeus persuaded them to help him in a coup against their father. With the help of the hundred handers, they achieved their goal to dethrone Kronos, to become the ruler, rulers in their own right. 
Zeus became the chief Christos, that is the anointed one or Christ, and the ruler of the Olympians. He then assigned or anointed, that is Christos, his brother Hades to be the ruler of the underworld and his brother Poseidon to be the Lord or Christ of the seas. Ares, the other sibling, was anointed to be Christ or Lord of the sky. The shocking bottom line, that story of the Greek gods where the son replaces his father as king of king and lord of lords is a very familiar story in Christian circles. But then considering Zeus is the Greek savior, Isis, Jesus, the chief anointed one, Christos Christ, it shockingly makes Christianity simply a modern version of that old Greek religion. With that in mind, we'll now discuss how the Hebrew Messiah's name and designation, that is anointed one, were changed to Greek in later chapters. But for now, we'll wrap up this chapter with a couple last comments. All the Bible-based religions profess to keep the Ten Commandments, or words, but haven't a clue what the first four are actually about. Uh, they are about how to love and respect our Creator whom they don't know, which must come first before everything else. Unfortunately, if we, allow, if we refuse to show love, respect, and honor to our Creators, we will never be given the strength to show it to others. Real love comes from Him. That's why the first word that usually comes to mind when Christianity is mentioned to non-Christians is hypocrite. Again, loving Yahweh has to come first before we can truly give any real love to anyone that is beside family. That's what was said when the Messiah was asked about the great commandment in the law or the Torah. He quoted Deuteronomy 6, Love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. That is first. And secondly, to love our neighbors as ourselves, but only in that order. Unfortunately, Christianity and virtually all the world's religions have placed pagan gods, i.e. God, Lord, Jesus, Allah, Vishnu, etc., before Him. They have also made graven images, that is the cross, Mother Mary, and the Christ child, Jesus, to worship. Sadly, Yahweh's name is made vain and is worthless every time He's addressed with the pagan and worthless names. But honoring his sacred, that is, set-apart names, is only the first step. The second is the most hated and despised word Yahweh gave his people. The shocking rejection of this fourth word is where we begin the next chapter.